everyone. Welcome to our Strong Mind, Strong Body podcast. I'm your host, Angie Miller. And today we are going to talk about nutrition for balancing moods. At the end of the episode, my personal hope is that if I find the right types of foods, I will always have a perfectly stable mood and never shed another tear. What do you think? That's not actually the goal, but I do have a perfect person. Her name is Dr. Joni Boyd, and she is an associate professor at Winthrop University, and she's going to talk about the types of foods that we can eat to keep our moods more stable and our emotions in check. So Joni, it just so happens Winthrop University is in my backyard here in Charlotte, so Joni's just a stone's throw away. So Joni, I'm going to bring you in and have you introduce yourself. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. Um, again, my name is Joni, and I am an associate professor of exercise science and coaching at Winthrop University, which is located in Rock Hill, South Carolina. We are about eight miles from the city of Charlotte, which you may be more familiar with. Um, and I am in love with just teaching uh, students things that are related to exercise and nutrition and health. Um, and how to look at research and understand what research means in the context of our practical you know, world, whatever career it is that we choose. Um, so I'm happy to be here today. And I'm super happy that you are here. Joni and I just saw each other at a convention recently in Las Vegas. So it's a little bit different space being back here in Charlotte. But Joni, I would like to ask you, what is this whole relationship between nutrition and mood or food and mood, if you will? Is it true that food really can help us balance our mood and emotions? In short, yes. Very short. The best answer is yes. And I think the best way to think about this is just in a very realistic sense. Um, if you know or have or have been around an infant at any point in your life, you know what the, the signs of hunger are. The signs of hunger for an infant are usually irritability and crying, um, you know, uh, emotional outbursts, so to speak. And once that hunger is um, you know, it is it is met with nutrition, then there's a calming that the emotions are calm that the, the baby is often pleased with the, the current situation. Fast forward a few years into the young, a young child years, where three of my children are today. Um, and the, the same is true when they are in the worst moods, the crankiest moods, we we joke that there's usually two reasons for crankiness you're hungry or you're sleepy, one of the two. Uh, and so looking at it from that perspective, that's how we're hardwired. That's really within our DNA. That's how we're made. We're made to go off balance, so to speak, when our nutrition, our, um, you know, our gut health, anything related to nourishment is not where it should be, is not balanced. So yes, absolutely. You know, I couldn't agree more. It's funny because you have, I think, four children. I have two. And I remember when my first daughter was born and, you know, you're such a, you're so naive and you don't really know. You're like, how do I take care of this thing? And she would just get so fussy. And to this day, she is the fussiest person when she's hungry. And we're always like, okay, she's very hangry right now. 
And you're right. It is usually sleep and it is nutrition related. Mm -hmm. And once she gets a little bit of food and her blood sugar stabilizes, it's like she's a new human being. And I think that we just, we underestimate that role of nutrition in lifting us up, but it's not just any food, right? I can't go grab a Snickers bar and we're going to deep dive into that because I do think that in our society, we are a quick fix. So we grab whatever's quick and easy. And oftentimes that's probably the one thing that's not going to help us to feel better. Wouldn't you agree? (laughs) Totally agree. So there is sort of an immediate response and then a delayed response to the nourishment that we consume. So in those moments of just, I'll eat anything right now, I am so hangry, as you call it, or hungry. Um, and, And that's creating the irritability. Certainly an immediate consumption of food, as you mentioned, uh, such as a a Snickers bar or something similar to that, may provide some immediate stabilization to a point. It may provide some immediate calming of those, um, you know, the brain center that says, help, we're starving. But then that moves into another complex situation because the brain is, is so complex and so amazing the food that we do consume has different levels of response. So while immediately it satisfies the hunger need, long-term, it may create a a different balance of blood sugar. It may spike the blood sugar, which then creates another emotional response. It could create digestive issues, which creates another emotional response. So yes, while that immediate need is met and can solve the emotions in the short term, we create potentially, if we're not careful, a secondary or a delayed response that can be just as cumbersome. It can be just as, as challenging from an emotional standpoint, from a mood standpoint, from just an energy level standpoint, if we're not careful with the, with the, the foods that we eat and the balance of those foods across the day. Yeah, I think that's a that's a great way of putting it because you're right. We 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 satiate, and so we're like, okay, I feel better. But then there's that delayed reaction of what happens in our gut and in our mind, and then all of a sudden, maybe it it's not the best thing because then we have, like you said, an even more emotional response or a deeper emotional response because the food that we ate wasn't quality food, which is why we probably know things like you know college kids or when we're in in a really intensive graduate program. Or, or college program and we're under a lot of stress and we're eating for quick fixes, that's probably why our moods aren't so stable. So, you know, I feel like in Western medicine, the the approach is you go to your doctor, you say, I'm having a lot of anxiety or I'm experiencing some feelings of depression and what we're not diagnosing here. And, and I personally am an advocate of medication if it's useful. Um, I work in mental health, I work in fitness, so not not advocating for medication, but I do find that a lot of times that is where we go. We go to mm-hmm. immediately medicating, but not really talking about these holistic approaches like exercise and nutrition and uh, the, the role that that plays in improving mood and balancing emotions. What do you think? Couldn't agree more. Um, and, and first, I do agree that Medication is useful and purposeful for certain things. So there is is certainly no discredit to medication when it's necessary. But often it's a multidimensional approach that's truly needed. It's, you know, medication doesn't necessarily change our behaviors. So looking at what behaviors are creating the, the potential issue in the first place. Why are we 
um, in this mood? Why are we feeling these emotions? What are we doing that's either helping or hurting the, the process of coping with these emotions? And so medication doesn't often target those specific things. And in fact, um, one of the you know most recent or, or latest pushes in holistic medicine is this concept of nutritional therapy and using foods to, um, you know, to fight things like depression and anxiety. Um, and, and that goes right alongside with the concept that exercise is medicine, that exercise can be used also to help, uh, you know, control emotions and, and work through some of those, um, those bigger concerns that sometimes are difficult to manage. Uh, so it certainly should be a much more multidimensional, multifaceted approach rather than just medication alone. Yeah, well, and I, I appreciate you saying that, and I want to reintroduce you. So I'm talking to Dr. Joni Boyd. She's an associate professor at Winthrop University, and we're talking about moods and nutrition. So how to balance our moods and how to stabilize our emotions through proper nutritional habits. And we were talking about the role of medication and how medication has a place, but so does nutrition therapy and exercise therapy. And Joni, you're talking about when you go to a physician and you say, these are the moods that I'm experiencing, but maybe some deeper questions would be, well, what are the behaviors that are leading to those moods and what's going on in your life and what are you actually doing to feel better? Because it is about modifying behavior too. And I think exercise and nutrition are part of behavior modification. So if we were to do like a drum roll, please, and say, okay, um, that all makes sense and people get it. They're like, okay, I get it. I need to exercise or I get it. I need to eat well. But the next question I feel like is always the same, but what exactly or how exactly? Because they're just inundated with information about exercise. And usually they're going for the path of least resistance. So like, oh, mm -hmm. I hear HIIT training burns X amount of calories in 30 minutes. So I'm going to do that, whether or not that's mm -hmm. actually good for my body based on my age and, and what my goals are. And they do the same thing, I feel like, with nutrition. Um and I feel like I've been guilty of this. Okay. So I'm going to give you an example. I've been the person who says, who almost feels like food's going to balance out my bad behavior. Like, well, I ate my blueberries today and I had my broccoli and I had some chocolate, but hey, I ate my blueberries and I had my broccoli. So I'm that person who feels like it's almost like a game of like matching. I can eat this as long as I ate that and maybe the good stuff's going to erase the bad stuff. Is, is that true or am I just kidding myself? I, I think that's a great point. I think that's how a lot of people probably look at it for sure. Um, I think to start, what you mentioned is most important, the acknowledgement that our behaviors are likely contributing to our mood states, that how we're eating, how we're, we're, what we're eating, what time we're eating, not just the specific food that we're consuming, but the patterns that we're utilizing, the timing that we're utilizing those patterns, um, as well as you know the exercise, of course, can all contribute to our mood. So the first step is the acknowledgement that that, that relationship is possible, that it exists. The second, the second thing is to really think of, you know, what specific patterns do I have that, that I'm willing to address? And too often we, we write a great plan or, or exercise plan or even uh, some sort of uh, nutritional strategies for individuals to, 
to utilize, to change. And if there's no willingness to do so, then they're not going to be very helpful. So the second step is to acknowledge, okay, what am I tired of? What am I tired of in the sense of what, what feeling am I tired of that I'm ready to address? Uh, so for me, my trip, my experience with nutrition is one that's, it's right here. It's self-driven. It's the understanding that for too long, there were certain foods that triggered, you know, feelings of discomfort, of gut um, distress, of just abdominal issues. And the, the constant feeling of not wanting to go anywhere or being very limited at the activities that I do based on the, the, the way that I was feeling was for me to say enough is enough. What is causing this? What am I doing wrong? And so that has created just a, an entire journey for me that still continues to this day. The, the other thing I'll say is it is an ongoing dynamic process. Do not expect to come to an end point where with exercise, we, we exercise and, and we're done. We do 30 minutes, 45 minutes. Great. It's done. But nutrition is so different and it's so complex and it's a constant check in. How do I feel? Why am I feeling that way? What did I consume or haven't I consumed that might be driving that feeling? And so it's an understanding and it's a realization that we may not get to an endpoint with a perfect menu or a perfect diet, so to speak, that it's a it's a constant process. And based on our current environment, our stress levels, what's happening around us, food may affect us one way. Um, you know, the first time we consume it or one time we consume it. And then because those situations may change because the cortisol levels and the things that we're dealing with may change the next time we consume that food, it could deliver a different response. So it's just the acknowledgement that all of that is very fluid and that it's a constant process of, of figuring out what may work best for you and for a client if you're working with a client. Yeah, those are all amazing points. So again, my name is Angie Miller. This is Strong Mind, Strong Body, Strong Mind, Strong Body, and I'm talking to Joni Boyd, who I who I actually wrote Joni Body. So I must be something about that body word. And she is an associate professor at Winthrop University. We're talking about food and mood and what can we do. And you know, Joni, what really connected me to you, and I hope you don't mind me saying this, is that when we met at a recent conference and we spent some time together, we both talked about hitting those stages of depression or anxiety. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is a very real journey for many of us. Mm -hmm. I know that depression can be familial. Mm -hmm. It often runs on the mother's side of the family. It runs deeply in my family. Anxiety runs deeply in my family. I'm constantly having to check my behaviors. I'm constantly having to check what am I consuming? What kind of exercise am I doing? And you're right. It's a journey because as my body changes through the different, um, you know, time periods of my life and hormones change, yeah. so does my diet. My gut gets more and more feisty. My gut fights me more and more on foods that used to agree with me. And you know what? Not so much anymore. Turns out that if I was to eat pizza at two in the morning, the way that I did in college, I probably would pay for it for a couple of days. So, um, or it could be followed by the beer. I don't know. But but you're right. It's this acknowledgement that it is a journey and it is about discovery. It's self-discovery. We have to dig deep and say, okay, 
Maybe I am in a funk and maybe this does run in my family, but what role am I playing that exacerbates my feelings of anxiety or depression or just moods that seem to be all over the board? And so I appreciated your authenticity on that. And it sounds like, you know, we've had this journey. And if you and I have had this journey, guess what? Certainly. So have a lot of other people. Yes, I agree. And and even now, you know, as we prepare for events that are coming up that are that are life changing, whether that's going back to school or starting a new job or a new career or all of the things that life throws at you that, you know, it, it is very fluid and dynamic by nature, then that creates a response. And, and I am honest with myself to say that Comfort food for me is an immediate response. And I have to fight that constantly, even though my brain, I have the knowledge to know what comfort food can do to me and to, um, you know, my long term health and how I feel in that immediate response. It's really hard to fight. And I do believe as a Western culture, as a society, we just don't do that well. We don't fight that immediate impulse very well. So I think that's the first step, right? And, and certainly there are some nutritional strategies that I'm, I'm going to go over here in a second that I think are very, very useful in the types of foods that you're consuming. But definitely step one is the acknowledgement that these are connected. My behaviors are likely, even if they're not creating the problem, they're not helping the problem. They could be making the problem worse. And so that is, uh, you know, really step one to to this this journey and figuring out that it can change really from day to day. Um, and then once you are, you know, once you're in that mind frame, then you're willing to make some changes and some, you know, try to implement some strategies and solutions that could be helpful. Yeah. And you know what, when I, when I think about what you just said, Joni, the word that comes to my mind is empowerment. I feel like what that is, is that's empowerment. We are all empowered to be able to say that, guess what? I have more control over my moods and my emotions and I'm giving myself credit for. To me, that's empowerment. It's a journey to figure it out. It means that I don't have to go to drastic measures right away. Maybe at some point, you know, there will be more things that I need to involve into the process, mm -hmm. but I do have some some personal control and autonomy over what I put into my mouth. And it turns out that has a big impact on how I feel. So um, I like that. I like that when we think about acknowledgement, because when I acknowledge, I get to determine where yeah. am I playing a role and personal responsibility, in my opinion, is where it's at. If I have control over something, I can do something about it, right? Exactly. Exactly. That's where it starts. And that's, that's with any major behavior change concept, but especially with nutrition, because there is such that immediate gratification, which, as we've already mentioned, may likely result in, you know, a delayed response that isn't so gratifying. So it, it is in nutrition is is probably the hardest in that concept of of day to day activities that, you know, we, we have to acknowledge and, and feel that empowerment and grow from it. Um, and, and you're right. When I can use discipline to, to start one day, it gives me strength to do the same thing the next day and then the next day. And then I see those positive outcomes. I see some positive benefits from that discipline that I've, I've utilized over the last few days. And it just empowers me even more. I get encouragement. It's like a, a snowball rolling down the hill. It just gains momentum and it gains speed. And even if you get off track, 
you realize, wow, this is very helpful. Let me go back. Let me start again and try it again. And eventually those behaviors become more, ha more habitual and more habit you know, based where we're, we're defaulting to the healthier steps rather than to the immediate gratification. Yeah, for sure. So, and again, I'm, my name is Angie Miller. This is Strong Mind, Strong Body. And I'm talking to Dr. Joni Boyd, and she is an associate professor at Winthrop University. We're talking about food and mood. So how do we use nutrition to balance our moods? So Joni, let's do the MVP list. I feel like we need a drum roll here. Let's do the most valuable foods. Like what, what can we, how do we get the most bang for our buck in improving our mood? Just a short and sweet list. We're not going to give big recipes and, um, which is good because half the time when I read a recipe, I'm like, I'm not sure what that ingredient even is. So let's keep it simple. Sure. Yes, I agree because, you know, simple strategies are always the best. Let's be honest that they really are. And, and some of this is going to sound cliche in the sense of just eat healthier, but, but it's true. The first, yeah. first thing we need to do is just address the current diet. If it's very Western in nature, lots of processed, high fat, high saturated fat, um, high, you know, glycemic foods, then it is research has shown research is very clear that those foods uh, tend to be linked with higher levels of depressive symptoms, depressive behavior, anxiety symptoms, and especially gut health um, and, you know, gut distress. And again, I can't, I, I can't really emphasize just the gut concept when you're belly doesn't feel well, you will not be a happy person, no yeah. matter what it is. So first and foremost, we have to address that, the, you know, the current diet. Second, so what I hear you say, what I hear you say is if it crinkles when I open it. <laughs> so if it crinkles and it's kind of cute, like animal cookies, you know, mm -hmm. they crinkle when I open them and oh my gosh, they melt in my mouth. Probably not the highest nutritional value. <laughs> Certainly, certainly. And, and we are, you know, that's, that's really the majority of our Western diet, right? Is that processed food that's so high in, in fat, saturated fat, trans fat, as well as, um, you know, uh, processed sugars, et cetera. The second step is to then think about, again, what healthy foods will you be willing to include? First and foremost, liquid or really water primarily, is what we want to, to focus on. Dehydration alone, even 2% of dehydration, which is just a loss in, in water because we are primarily water with our, our body makeup, even just 2% loss in water creates confusion. It makes um, decision-making difficult. Cognitive disturbances are incorporated with a loss of fluid. So making sure we're consuming adequate water. And, and I will say it doesn't Preferably plain water is best, right? There's low calories, but if you can incorporate other lower low calorie options that don't provide that high fructose corn syrup or high sugar concept, then that's, you know, that's appropriate as well. If that counts as your, your liquid intake. You know, I like that even 2% dehydration mm -hmm. can cause confusion can cause decision-making um, difficulty. Who would have thought? And so a simple thing like just making sure that we're fully hydrated. And I think about that, especially when we're really fatigued 
or we're not feeling super well, like maybe we have a little bit of a cold, all those times when we needed even more. And it's so true because uh, one of the things that I teach about habit is when you get up in the morning, first thing, grab a cool glass of water to kind of reset your nervous system, wake up your body. And so, yeah, it gets, it gets that fluid in your body, feels like you're cooling off and you're coming alive to the world. So I like that. Agree. And it's very powerful. Um, I, I have been able to default to when I'm feeling tension headaches coming on where I, I know that, you know, there, there's a stress component involved. Um, I make it a point to grab a bottle of water um, or fill my my bottle and consume it all right then and there. Um, and just, you know, that consumption of, of liquid in that moment is helpful. I also am a proponent of not just in the morning, but drinking water at night because you are going to rest. And believe it or not, you lose a lot of fluid while you're sleeping through breathing, maybe sweat. And of course, if you if you use the restroom in the middle of the night, you're, you're not consuming. So if you can consume right before bedtime, it can just help maintain those levels of water, especially if early morning water isn't good for you, if it, if it upsets your stomach, which mm -hmm. um, some people report that. So I would say, you know, morning or nighttime, whichever one would work best for you. Okay. Well, if you have a bladder like mine, I'm not going to go with the nighttime one. <laughs> I already have enough disruptive sleep from having to go to the bathroom all night long. So again, I'm Angie Miller. This is Strong Mind, Strong Body. I'm talking to Dr. Joni Boyd. She's an associate professor at Winthrop University. We're talking about food and mood. And right now we are on the MVP list. So we started with water. We just need to hydrate. So Joni, what's, what's number two on the drum roll, please? What's sure. number two on the MVP list? Number two is omega-3s, healthy, healthy fats. Um, so these are, I'll give you some sources of uh, good sources of omega-3s, your flax seed, flax oil, walnuts, canola oil, um, healthier fishes like salmon um, are really rich in the omega-3s. We have a high number of omega-6s and those are in our, in our diet generally, and those are, are good as well. But omega-3s are really, the, the research has shown that they help those neurotransmitters. So neurotransmitters are responsible for really connecting the brain with everything else, with how we feel, how we are you know, managing our emotions, et cetera. They're, they're really responsible. There's lots of neurotransmitters and they do lots of different things, but omega-3s help to make those uh, transmitters, you know, more productive, more functional in that concept. So certainly including healthy fats, not your trans fats um, as much, which are, you know, the, the processed types of fats, but the healthier fats in the diet is very important. And, you know, we can take the omega-3 supplements for sure, but I agree like the flaxseed, I found an easy way to do that one. I actually buy the ground flaxseed, which is like flour, but you absorb it from what I understand. Uh, it's easier to absorb and I will... I will put it on my cereal in the morning. And that's a great way just for me to get some flaxseed. And um, the salmon, you mentioned the salmon, the flaxseed. What else did you name for the omega-3s that would be kind of readily good sources? So walnuts, canola oil is also rich in, in omega-3. Um, and then, yeah. you know, other fatty fishes, tuna would also be a, a healthy source of, of omega-3s as well. Yeah. Yeah. The walnuts. It's funny. I grew up in Iowa. We had this massive walnut tree, enormous walnut tree that expanded the whole, uh, it almost took over our home. We ended up having to take it down. And my grandpa used to sit out there and bring a lawn chair out there and just crack walnuts and eat walnuts all day long. <laughs> 
pretty sure he had no idea that it was because it was healthy. He just loved the taste of walnuts. So, um, but anyway, so those, that's a good one. So what's another MVP? What would make number three? I, I always hear the omega threes in the water. Give us another one. So healthy amino acids, you're well, all amino acids are healthy, by the way, but your essential amino acids are, are really critical. So you, there are nine amino acids and as a, a reminder, amino acids are building blocks for proteins. So we are also made up of a ton of different types of proteins. It makes up skin, hair, nails, uh, certainly muscles, even bone is a combination of protein, calcium and water. So we are primarily water and protein. The protein building, all the different proteins are made up of amino acids. And of the amino acids, there are 20 different ones. Nine of them we cannot produce. We can produce the other 11 just fine. But nine, we need to consume through the diet. So it's really important that we consume uh, foods that are rich in the and in, in balanced across the, uh, the essential amino acids or EAAs, as they um, like to call them for short. And those are really important because proteins not only make the building block, they serve as uh, the, the taxis or the Ubers for all the other functions in our body. So for muscles to accept glucose or energy, it takes protein for red blood cells to, um, you know, to contain hemoglobin and, and myoglobin and all the oxygen carrying capacity that we need within the bloodstream to help stabilize um, our not just our blood glucose, but just how we're feeling and how we're, we're processing uh, through the day is made up of those amino acids and made up of the, the essential amino acids. So if we have a diet that lacks those essential EA or those EAAs or essential amino acids, then um, it can, you know, certainly create um, a situation that then goes back to those emotions that we're trying to battle. Right. So give us some of those, give us some of those um, big uh, ticket items, if you will, that include those nine essential amino acids. Certainly. So your um, any animal product, your health, your meats. And of course, if we focus on the healthy meats, that goes back to those omega threes as well. So again, salmon, your 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 healthier fishes are um, certainly um, will certainly provide those essential amino acids, as well as, um, you know, lean meats like chicken, etc. are very good. Your if you are more plant based, um, there are legumes um, such as chia, and buckwheat and amaranth that are very, very healthy in providing the array of essential amino acids that we need. And finally, I'll say that supplementation also has its place. Um, mm -hmm. it's, it, supplementation should be used when it's clear we are not getting what we need for whatever reason. Um, so if you, if, a, if you have an athlete or an older person or even you know, a child that just won't consume certain types of foods, supplementing with with protein powders, um, especially those that contain those essential amino acids uh, are are helpful and very useful. And research shows that they also provide the nutrition that you need in order to you know, get what you need, what your brain needs from those EAAs um, to help stabilize your mood. Yeah, well, and I, I agree with you because I definitely use supplementation and I also take a plant-based protein powder every day. My idea of taking the plant-based protein powder is, A, I love to make smoothies and it makes me feel like I'm eating ice cream. So that's how I've, that's how I've cured that need is that need for 
quote ice cream, but also because then I get my amino, I get my essential amino acids and I get my protein. And I know for sure that I've, I've given that to my body. It's like, that is my treat for my body every single day is to have that protein shake. But, um, you know, one thing, Joni, that I want to kind of throw in here is I started working with a nutritionist. And one of the things that we do that I think we as trainers can do with our clients is we set weekly goals. And so we set a weekly goal of, okay, Angie, this week, I want you to add the omega-3s to your diet three times a week. So in other words, where we're going with that is our goal is that I'm either going to eat salmon or some kind of, um, some kind of fish, whether that be tuna or something, at least three times a week. That's my goal. It's real simple. So we can just say things like that to our clients and say, this is why, this is what it does for you. Can you make it a goal to add three omega-3s to your diet this week? Can you make it a goal to drink X amount of water this week and give them a goal for the week? Because we don't have to be nutrition experts to give takeaway tips that clients can take home. I love that my nutritionist has made this really, really easy for me. And now I've been picking up things like flaxseed and chia seeds and sprinkling it on different foods. So I think that's, that's really good. So, uh, Joni, I want to reintroduce you. I'm talking to Dr. Joni Boyd, and she is an associate professor at Winthrop University. I'm Angie Miller. I'm the host of Strong Mind, Strong Body, and we're talking about nutrition for balancing moods. And so far, we've said water, the omega-3s. We've talked about the essential amino acids. And I know, Joni, one of the ones that we talked about that we really want to get in there before we close up is that whole idea of mindful eating. So what are, what's your take on that? Well, again, going back to understanding how what you're eating is making you feel. So when I work with clients or athletes, I am as concerned with how the food makes them feel as I am the specific nutrition that they're consuming. Because the other concept that we, we haven't talked about or we should, we should also consider is gut health and tolerance. Everyone has a different tolerance to foods. So for example, for me, Almonds are a very healthy food and it's, they're, they're fabulous. They taste great. They don't work well with me. I can't tolerate a consumption of almonds or almond butter. So I have to, and trust me, I learned that the hard way. I, I know that I need to find other sources of the nutrition that, that almonds would provide. So mindful eating is, is a very deliberate, intentional focus on number one, what you're eating. And number two, how what you're eating is making you feel immediately and long term. So I also know certain foods that provide that gastrointestinal distress 20, 30, even an hour after I consume them. I know when, you know, when I should should try ice cream, for example, if you're lactose intolerant. So mindful eating is understanding that how the food that you're consuming is making you feel. And it's, you know, we're such fast, we're, we are a fast paced society. We eat in the car, we eat on the run, we shove, we, you know, consume. And that's a part of the process too, is how well we're breaking down food. Believe it or not, every piece of food has to be broken down to the smallest granule. So if we're not chewing all the way, if we are, are really swallowing food that's partially whole, it's going to take longer for our stomach to break that down. It's going to hurt more in our stomach to break that down. Yeah. So that can contribute to a off balance of gut health, um, which can then you know trigger a whole host of other issues. So mindful eating is the deliberate and intentional focus on what you're eating. And then even recording or jotting down how that food made you feel. 
And that's how I knew that almonds were creating really bad situation for me is over time, I was able to see from logging that, you know, how the food made me feel that almonds was, were likely the uh, culprit of the, the intolerance or the sensitivity that I, that my particular gut had. Um, and by the way, that's a pretty common one, by the way, um, yeah. even healthy foods, even what we would consider as healthy foods can create gastrointestinal disturbances. And so being mindful of how we feel after an avocado, because for some people it's avocado, um, yeah. you know, can really be surprising. I agree. It's it's kind of like just because a workout burns the most amount of calories in the least amount of time doesn't mean it's the right workout. It's the same thing with foods yes. because I have a hard time too absorbing almonds, even though they're so good for me. And so it becomes that balancing act of there's different ways to get proper nutrition. And if one way doesn't work for you, giving yourself permission to say, I know these are healthy, but these don't work for my gut. And so I'm going to have to go to plan B and find another way to fill that nutritional need. So Joni, before we close up, you know, we've talked about the MVPs. We've talked about the water, the omega-3s, the um, essential amino acids, the mindful eating. And of course, there's always sleep and exercise. But is there anything else that you want to add that you want to say about nutrition and balancing moods before we close, before we close up? I think just this, the, the connection with sleep that is so important because that, uh, that is the other critical piece that we need for nourishment, right? We nourish our body through nutrition, but we also nourish our body through rest, regeneration, and recovery. And in fact, there's so much balance between those healthy foods that we've mentioned and the ability to fall asleep. For example, the essential amino acids help to promote serotonin levels and melatonin levels naturally in the body, which help to produce sleep. So without going into too much context, there certainly is an indirect uh, ability of what we eat to also affect how well we rest, which then affects our mood. So if you see both a direct and an indirect component, that's what I think is the best thing to get out of this particular um, conversation. Yeah, I think that's that's a great way to to put that because you're right. Certain foods are just going to invite more sleeplessness and certain foods are going to invite better rest. And so, um, Dr. Joni Boyd, thank you so much for coming on. Once again, I'm Angie Miller. Thanks for joining us on Strong Mind, Strong Body and talking with us about proper nutritional foods to meet or to boost our mood and to kind of keep our emotions stable. So thanks to all of our NASM and APA community and anyone else out there listening. I hope you'll share the episode and also kind of write to me. Let me know what you want to see more of, and we will see you next week. Thank you.